A mathematical genius, a first-generation Polish immigrant, a graduate of UC Berkeley, survivalist, madman. All of these words describe the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, who between 1978 and 1995 mailed numerous bombs to universities, airlines, and even local stores. His almost 20-year spree of terror, which was conducted to bring a quote, revolution against the industrial system, sparked one of the largest searches in FBI history and is the subject of our next episode on the Gems of History podcast. Let's go. Yeah, let me tell you about something very anecdotal and only applies to me. <laughs> hey, they can relate at home. I, I can hear them clamoring for your personal information. The most related, yeah, for all the scammers wanting my social security <laughs> card. <laughs> but welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. I am your co-host, Evan Roosh, and joined with me as always is Jacob Shop. How are we doing today? I'm doing good. I'm ready for this episode, Evan. This one's going to be fun. I am too. I uh, definitely wanted to cover the Unabomber after we talked about it just a little bit during the Waco series and just kind of reflect on how wild of a time, like 20 years, and there's just you like packages at universities, there's a very high chance that it could just be a bomb. Yeah. Or at airlines or even advertising executives. Insane how long his spree of bombing went. Yeah. And just the whole, from like 70s to probably 2000s, this is the hotbed of, like, Waco happens. Uh, this, Ridge. of course, happened. Ruby Ridge happens. Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, yeah. The World Trade Centers. <laughs> the World Trade Centers. <laughs> Things of- have never been good. <laughs> no. But you know what was good, Evan? Your concert that you saw. Yes. I saw Bruce Springsteen uh, last night. So last Tuesday, uh, by the time of this recording. and. It was probably one of the best concerts I've ever seen. I could believe that. He played for two, I believe the official clock time was like two hours and 42 minutes. Yeah, I've heard he just plays. The dude's 73. Yeah, it's insane. 73, and he's putting out those sort of like concert set times. And he still has incredible vocals. Like He doesn't move too much on stage, which, yeah, he's 73. Right. <laughs> but his entire band, I believe it's 18 different instrumentalists vocalists like it is something that i highly recommend seeing it is truly and i was at the pfizer forum which if you're not familiar that's the arena in milwaukee where the milwaukee bucks play like great acoustics the entire like everything was so cool hell yeah and i've never seen a more like locked in crowd does that make sense like yeah there was like every song was being sung like word for word uh, the demographic was all like our parents, so like 50 plus or like their kids that they brought along. Yeah. So I went with my parents and my brother, Dylan. Uh, sh- shout out my uh, oldest brother. Uh, he unfortunately got a medical issue, which barred him from coming to the concert last minute. So I got called up from the minors <laughs> and uh, and uh, got to go. So definitely, definitely appreciate him being gracious for letting me go in his stead. But yeah, it was... It's incredible. Yeah, I've heard reviews of his shows, and everyone that I've heard is just like, man, that is an experience. It's one of the 
few concerts that I've seen that I just want, I want to go again, like within a month. Like I would probably pay more Yeah. for, for tickets, but yeah, he is incredible. Hell yeah. I mean, there's a reason that he's stuck around this long and he's still insanely popular. While he's still so. like a 50 year career. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah, that Good is. Good for him. Shout out Bruce Springsteen. Definitely. 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 But, Iconic. But uh, we have a really fun episode for you guys today. Like we mentioned, we're going to be tackling the Unabomber with your, or Unabomber? Unabomber. Unabomber. Okay. Yep. Because university and airlines. And so airlines. Un- I always, during the research, I kept on going like Unabomber, like it was some sort of <laughs> I mean, they are German. Polish, so it yeah, might right? sound that way if they actually said it. <laughs> right, but, right. Um, but without any further ado, do you just want to hop right into it? Yeah, learn about Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski. I wanted to do like a Mike Wazowski, like Mike Wazowski, but like Ted he, Kaczynski. He <laughs> sounds... More annoying than Mike Wazowski. That's saying something, yeah. too. Ted Kaczynski was born on May 22nd, 1942 in the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois. Good old Miss Midwestern boy. Yeah, oh, they, we really pump them out up here. <laughs> we do. We, <laughs> A couple we, of notorious names. I could, yeah, the Midwest is pretty notorious for people like this, and also cheese, and assorted dairy and products. Beer. And beer, yeah. <laughs> Being his father's namesake, Kaczynski was the son of Polish-American immigrants Wanda and Theodore Kaczynski. Yeah, good old Theodore Turk. That's what his nickname Uh, was. His father's nickname was Turk. Turk, okay. Uh, Yes, it's an interesting one. I guess that doesn't... Sure. I mean, I was thinking, is Turkey next to Poland? But No, No, not even close. Not not even a little bit. According to Ted's mother, he was a bouncy and energetic baby. However, in his early years... He had an allergic reaction to medications and actually spent time in isolation while recovering. And a lot of reports uh, having this isolation happen at such an early age apparently created a noticeable change in his personality, which was apparent basically from the time that he went, or excuse me, returned home from the hospital. Yeah. I mean, he, this happened, he broke out. The medical condition was like he broke out in hives, and it was like life-threatening. Right. So it was like uh, his parents had to take him to the hospital, mm-hmm. and at the time, the hospitals just didn't allow parents to come in, so it wasn't like his mom could go with him into the, the bay where he was getting looked at or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he was on his own like this whole time, and it, when you're, I think it was when he was nine months old, so that's a very formative time in a baby's life. And to be like taken away from your parents during this traumatic experience, yeah. a lot of people say that that kind of messes with the personality of a, a very young child like that. Right, and hives is extremely, like you mentioned, extremely fatal, but it's also just such uncomfort for a young child to go through, again, all in isolation. Yeah, I mean, they said that he had splints on his legs and oh, stuff, so that he, and he was pretty much just like strapped down so that he could get medical care it's like man that's still that's rough for less than one year old gosh that's so sad but his mother also said that despite their efforts to cuddle and show ted affection he actually became increasingly less interested in personal attachments and that uh, parental intimacy if you will yeah and this this is the sad part because i mean he, from all accounts, was like very energetic, very bubbly when he was born and always mm-hmm. w- wanted to be around his parents. Then when he got home, it just slowly became less and less that he showed interest in being held and, and just in people in general. And uh, studies have shown from, I watched uh, a documentary, The Unabomber in His Own Words on mm-hmm. Netflix, 
And they talk about how studies show that children who don't get that motherly affection at this time as an infant can develop like a almost psychopathic tendency where they just kind of detach from everything because they just didn't have that affection when they were young. And now that they didn't have that, they don't know how to show affection to others. And it just makes them withdraw. It's that classic stigma when you look at most like serial killers or just, I guess, other pig pad evil guys uh, throughout history or recent history, I should say, with these studies showing that if you don't have a great relationship with your parents, like you typically, like you mentioned, develop personality traits that you're not attached, you don't really care for what you do to like other people. But I mean, as we'll see, though, Ted didn't really have a bad relationship with his parents. Like his, no. from all accounts, his whole family life was pretty normal. I mean, right. his parents were always good. They never abused him or anything. Yeah. So. Uh, in addition, after his younger brother, David, was born, Ted had another change in personality. So you're kind of starting, you're kind of starting to see that there's multiple personality changes or shifts happening at such an early age, like almost right off, right out the womb. Yeah, because I think this part of it with David being born is just that his parents started showing David affection. Mm-hmm. And since Ted didn't really know at this point, like he was kind of losing touch with how to receive affection and show affection. So I think seeing his parents show his younger brother all that love and everything, he just kind of didn't understand it. Right. He was like, I, I want that, but I don't know how to get that, and I don't know how to comprehend what that is. The Kaczynskis eventually moved out of the city of Chicago to Evergreen Park, which is a suburb of Chicago. While he was in school, his parents pushed him to achieve academic success at the earliest possible age. Uh, Despite this increasingly large amount of pressure, Ted excelled at his schooling and was even able to skip two entire grades during the early parts of education. Yeah, and this is kind of an interesting period for him. The the reason that they moved out of Chicago is they were kind of living in a bad area. There was a lot of racial uh, controversy going on between mm-hmm. the whites in the neighborhood and the blacks that were moving into the neighborhood. And I read in I read Madman in the Woods by Jamie Gehring. It's a very good book, um, and she recounts that the one of the reasons was there was a th- a trend going around where the white families were putting signs in their windows that mm-hmm. kind of showed like we're in solidarity with the other whites in this neighborhood against mm. the black people that are migrating into our neighborhood. And Ted's family was against that stigma. Like they're yeah. very progressive and liberal at this time period. And so they were like, well, we want to get out of here and we want to have just a good environment for our kids. Instead yeah. of living in like a shared house, we want to have our own home. So it's a very interesting time that he's grown up. Oh my gosh, yeah. But despite like all that, I mean, he took an IQ test in fifth grade and actually scored a 167, he's which... He's a nerd. A big old nerd. Like yeah. that's truly genius level intelligence. Yeah, that's on par with, I, I think it's on par with like uh, Stephen Hawking and like... Wow. I don't know if it's that high, but like sure. it's, it's literally genius level. It's above the like top IQ scores on normal testing. So, cause I think 140 to 160 is like highly able mm-hmm. and he scored above that. So they were like, this kid's smart. That's just, let's just uh, log this in for our Patreon content one day. We just take a live IQ test. <laughs> yeah, just, oh God. <laughs> and you guys can just watch me melt. I'm sure I know that you'd score well, but I would just probably 
be like, why can't I make our, the questions look pretty or but, something like that? I never trust those online IQ tests. But speaking of Patreon, if you want to get in on the polls for a listener episode for this month, go subscribe to our Patreon because we're going to start doing that poll probably when this episode drops. So, Absolutely. Go in and vote. Despite his advanced intelligence, Ted was regarded as different compared to the other kids and actually had a hard time fitting in with his older, more mature classmates. Like we mentioned, he skipped two entire grades, so his body you know, didn't grow at the same time as his, the people around him, his classmates. And regardless, Ted was still a very active student and participated in numerous school groups such as German and chess clubs. Yeah, he, he honestly liked school. Like, yeah. I mean, it shows by how smart he was, but apparently his mom would buy him books all the time. She was an English teacher and the neighbors said like she was just naturally good at teaching people. And so she would buy him books. And one of his favorite books, this is the nerdiest thing that I've ever heard. It was called Romping Through Mathematics. And he took it with him on a vacation with the family. Oh my goodness. He loved, loved it so much. That's so funny. Just everyone else is at Disneyland. He's like, actually, I got this killer book at home. Yeah. <laughs> Just going to romp around in mathematics. Yeah, mom, I'm taking this book with us on vacation. <laughs> and then his brother David gave him a noogie or something. <laughs> we don't have any reports that they were no, bad growing up. But his like, brother yeah. like idolized him. Right. He still does. So. Right, right. At home, Ted's habits began to change around this time, according to his brother and his parents. One instance revolved around a time when Ted pulled a chair out for his mother when she was bringing dinner to the table, and instead of letting her sit on it, he pulled the chair out so she fell on the floor. A classic goof. That's just the most, that's probably the first joke. It's like knock-knock jokes, and then that. That hey, kids learn. Hey, mom, learn how to sit down. <laughs> 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 Fucking incompetent. <laughs> Uh, after this happened, Ted was reprimanded by his father, but the whole time he just laughed. Yeah, so you can already see that, like, because he was this just kind, everyone said he was this kind child, like, he was just kind of shy and quiet, which mm-hmm. is a given. I mean, he skipped a grade, so, but yeah, now he's becoming kind of a, a menace. <laughs> yeah, kind of became, a, or starting to become a little bit of a dick. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Kaczynski attended Evergreen Park Community High School, where he was an extremely bright student, excelling in all subjects, but particularly took to the mathematics courses. He would spend hours studying and solving math problems. God, this is, I cannot relate. Math was always my least favorite thing in school. Right. If you remember like the mad minutes that we had to do, or like multiplication tables, I struggled so hard with those. It's like nine times nine, and like there's that trick with nines where like the numbers have to equal nine yeah right that just threw me for an entire loop like <laughs> what's the background of the why do the nines make I, someone, nine? <laughs> someone just realized it and they're like let's run with that right i was always good at math but i just hated doing like it's just so tedious to me it's, so for someone yeah. like him to like love math just a little sketchy <laughs> right i mean mathematics is i mean it's very black and white there's typically only one way to get to the answer. And, and I think it's that's very... why he liked it is because that's how his personality was. Like he right. wasn't very emotional. He was just very calculated and yep. like very matter of fact. So and in later life he was too calculated for his own good. <laughs> yeah. Uh in fact, his study group in school was called the Briefcase Boys because <laughs> they all carried briefcases around. Come on, boys. <laughs> 
this is the worst possible gang. <laughs> like the brief the briefcase boys. Come on, briefcase boys. We're gonna show all those incompetent idiots how cool we are doing math. I'm just picturing like the Ron Burgundy, like where he blows the conch. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like a everyone of, assembles. A bunch of kids with briefcases. Yeah, just suspenders. all wild. Uh, according to a bandmate of Ted's, as well as president of the math club, Ted just wasn't maturing socially as quickly as the rest of the kids and was juvenile in the best and worst sense of the word. He participated in pranks, making harmless pop explosive with chemical reactions, but one time took them too far when a kid asked how to make a more powerful explosion. And following Ted's advice, the student blew out two windows in a lab and damaged a girl's hearing. And this is foreshadowing. Like, this is very innocent, though. Like, I, I mean, it looks bad looking back on it now after R- his I mean, history. Yeah. But <clears throat> uh, it was just like he gave a piece of paper with like two chemicals in it to a girl. And like when you pulled it apart, it was like those poppers that you would oh, throw on sure. the ground. And then this kid came up and he's just like, hey, how do I make this more powerful? And Ted told him, like, not expecting him to actually go do it. <laughs> and the kid does it in the chemical lab or the chem lab and blows out two windows. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's still a very powerful bomb yeah. to knock out glass windows. Which is ironic because he could tell another kid in like high school how yeah. to make this, but then his bombs are just notoriously bad. Right. <laughs> so notoriously like, how, faulty. How, how did you blow out two windows in high school yeah. <laughs> or tell another kid how to? But Right. All right. Ted graduated high school at 15 after being vastly ahead of all of his classmates and even applied and was accepted into... Harvard University on a scholarship at 16. This is a bad move. Yeah. Uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, for, well, first of all, this isn't where he wanted to go, but he mm-hmm. felt the pressure from his parents to want to go here just to kind of make them happy because they saw this opportunity for him. And as a parent, if your kid has a scholarship opportunity to go to Harvard, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. But at the same time, as a parent, you ought to respect what your kid wants to do. And he wanted to go to like a, I think it was called Oberlin, and it was an mm-hmm. art school in Ohio. And it was just kind of another school. It wasn't anything special from anything that I could find. But yeah, he kind of pressured himself to go just because the expectation was that he would go. Right. Once you get that acceptance and scholarship letter from Harvard, it's hard I'd imagine it's very hard for a parent to be like, oh, but you want to go to like this artsy school and yeah. not like the Harvard. Right. Cool. And they're expecting, oh, he's so smart. He can do something genuinely good for society if he goes to this prestigious school. Right. But I mean, he comes from a middle class family. This is a very ritzy school that he's going to end up going to. And he's going into this being like, I'm a boy genius from where I grew up. Mm. But then you're going to Harvard, which is full of boy geniuses and girl geniuses. Mm-hmm. and the year that he arrived at Harvard, 10 other 16-year-olds had been admitted just that year. And it just hit, hit him hard that he was not special, like he was right. kind of bringing himself up to be, and everyone was telling him he was. So it's kind of hard for him to emotionally handle that huge jump in social surrounding. Right, that's an extremely hard adjustment to being like the hottest thing on the block to now, oh, there's actually 10 other yeah. 16 year olds with the same exact like genius level intelligence and your your classmate in high school was saying you just weren't maturing socially as right. well and so if you're already lagging behind in high school jumping to college <laughs> like two years before everyone else does yeah i don't think that's gonna work too well right 
At Harvard, Kaczynski studied mathematics and also became a part of a psychological experiment. Now, this is very interesting. This experiment was conducted by Professor Henry A. Murray, where the members had to endure extensive verbal abuse. Basically, the students were made to give personal details about themselves, and they were subjected to, and I quote, vehement, sweeping, and personally abusive attacks at their ego and their cherished ideals and beliefs. Yeah, and uh, according to Jamie Gehring's book, The Madman in the Woods, uh, this is, I'll, I'll quote here, and she kind of describes what they would do. So the, the people in this program were instructed to, quote, write a brief exposition of your personal philosophy of life, an affirmation of the major guiding principles in accord, in accord with which you live or hope to live. And then after that, they would, quote, when the volunteers, including Kaczynski, reported for their interviews, they were placed into a room with bright lights. There was a camera rolling and electrodes hooked up to measure heart and respiratory rates, recording every reaction. Now, if that already make, now if that didn't already make the student a little nervous, a trained law student or assistant of Murray would launch an all-out attack on the written set of beliefs. So Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Twitter with spotlights. That's. I can't imagine going through that because I'm sure this happened or this did happen like multiple times too. Oh, it it's was not just three a one years thing. long, right? This program, right. and Ted himself does admit like most of the time it like it was just them trying to discount my beliefs, but I would just attack back, and they would really we'd kind of just back and forth, and it mm-hmm. wouldn't really be that bad. And there was only one really unpleasant experience that he said he had doing this. So how much this actually weighs into his eventual downfall but mm-hmm. i don't know i mean but it is interesting because it's like mk ultra adjacent stuff yeah and even uh henry murray who was in the oss the precursor to the cia he was just insanely interested in the brainwashing and mind control techniques and so it's kind of a coincidence that it was all going on at the same time and Ted's a teenager at this point, yeah. right? Like he's 17, 18, 19 while this is happening, while the study is occurring, like that, just that basic age range. And I also can't imagine just looking at your calendar of things to do. It's like, all right, class at 710, maybe some like sort of club at like noon. And then my afternoon yeah. is just booked of being berated by a law student or a, a, an adult kind of crazy yeah and the, like there's attorneys coming in and attacking you right like, right harvard well, and, attorneys. and then they were attacking like their personal appearance too he, oh, he yeah. one of them in the correspondence in the book he attacks him because he's like oh you can't even grow a beard that's not a beard and kaczynski's <laughs> like i know it's not a beard yeah i never said it was a beard no one said no one's claiming that this peach fuzz is a full beard but he's like you didn't answer any of my points and the guy's like well that just shows that you don't understand what i'm saying <laughs> yeah but you also wet the bed too it's like huh <laughs> you're incompetent come on buddy <laughs> Uh, according to those who remember him, Ted became a ghost with no outward personality. He wanted to be referred to as Theodore, only left his room for meals, and didn't participate in extracurricular activities. Yeah, changing from Ted to Theodore, it's very a very proper way to go about like changing your appearance. <laughs> to be like, yeah, I don't have fun anymore. No. Like, yeah, you go from Teddy Boy to Theodore. <laughs> he would come like he would come out of his room for meals and eat with people, but then eventually it just would be him going to the 
the cafeteria, getting a sandwich and then taking it to his room again. And one of the mm. students that caught a glimpse inside his room when the door opened said there was like two feet of garbage on the floor in his room because he just lived in there. He didn't yeah. leave for anything except class. Oh, that's like a huge sign of depression and whatnot, just obviously blocking people off. Then also just trash in like a dirty environment. Yeah, social oh, social isolation. Yes, yeah. After graduating from Harvard in 1962, Kaczynski continued his studies at the University of Michigan. While there, he taught classes and worked on his dissertation, which was widely praised. According to his teachers, his thesis was outstanding, and Ted was one of four students to receive an A in the class of one of his doctoral thesis committee members. It was also around this time that Ted apparently began to have personal emotional dilemmas. At one point, seemingly stemming from his cravings for attention from females, Ted actually considered getting a sex change operation to fulfill the fantasy of touching a woman intimately, but backed out when he got to the office. This is really a weird spot. I, I don't really understand this part. I, I mean, I get it, <laughs> yeah. like, but I don't get it, you know? Right, that's... I guess, I mean, I think it truly is one of those things where if you're not in that mindset, you have no idea how you get to that mindset, right? So to want to touch a woman or be intimate with a woman, with a woman so badly that you're considering changing yourself, I think is just a psyche that personally, like we would never know. And like his goal, like you, like we said, like was to touch a woman, right? So to change your own body to do that, I think that's, it's a different approach. But it's the uh, super mathematical approach to it in a way. Like yeah, It's super what, logical, What is yeah. an easy way to get to this point? I can just make myself a woman, then right. I can do it. Instead of like going through the emotional steps of finding a woman and trying to get with a woman. Yeah. So I guess this does actually make a lot of sense for his brain to think it this way. Right, and then the only like emotions that he has to deal with are his own. And he doesn't even have to invest emotionally in it. This could just be a means right. to an end kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. But a, a psychologist said about this point, like, it wasn't that he was having, like, gender dysphoria issues or anything like right. that. Like, it was literally just he couldn't figure out a way to get to the point with women where he wanted to be. He was down bad. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, granted, when he skipped a grade in grade school, he got like relentlessly made fun of by the girls because yeah. he was younger than the, all the other kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. So from the beginning, he already had trouble. And then after that, his self-esteem was just non-existent to go talk to a woman. So. Oh, right. Like you don't develop any, I don't want to say confidence, but I guess confidence or just like having a conversation with the opposite sex like naturally because he's two years younger like yeah he, his body hasn't even hit puberty like he has no idea on like what to do right or not what to do but like how to just have a conversation yeah all this to say that he is a, a nerd <laughs> yeah nerd <laughs> nerd we've gotten a lot i i just recall like early gems of history days we'd probably be roasting this guy but i mean ne- he deserves it <laughs> but now i mean yeah but now we're like actually let's take a look at the psychology and <laughs> let's look at the science i mean we are early not gems, psychologists right but... early gems days we'd be like oh this guy look at this fucking loser don't so bad <laughs> you know what i'd call him evan uh oh i know you're referring to um incompetent incompetent yeah <laughs> i thought you were gonna say <laughs> remember early gems we also were like who are the biggest like 
dickheads in history. This guy's up there. That was a segment that we debated. That's behind the jam. <laughs> Kaczynski earned his doctorate degree from the University of Michigan in 1967 and then moved west to teach at the University of California, California. Berkeley. California. Time to teach math. <laughs> He was not having a fun time in California. No, it was not always sunny in old Cali. Ted Kaczynski was the youngest assistant professor to teach mathematics in the history of UC Berkeley. And he particularly focused on geometry and calculus and taught this to undergraduate students. Him going to Berkeley at this time period is, I think, I don't know how important it is, but it is notable that this was a very politically active area of the country specifically i mean it's the 60s it's the hippie movement so everyone's like anti-war anti-technology individual Mm -hmm. individuality drugs all that stuff so this may have influenced ted like being just around all of this stuff that's going on and Mm -hmm. seeing seeing it from a periphery view i don't know how much it impacted his philosophy on life but i I can't say that it would should be ruled out as like having an impact. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like he's 25 at this time when he's moving out and teaching these undergrads. 25 and he's teaching at Berkeley. That's crazy. An assistant professor at Berkeley. Like that's that truly is pretty impressive. And he majored in theoretical mathematics, which is like yeah. it's not even like numbers anymore. It's it's yeah. like writing theses about how math could influence things or what. I don't even know what it Right, you're you're pioneering new fields, if you will, yeah. like, of math. But like, even his professor that like read his dissertation and said it was amazing and stuff knew that it wasn't a field that really took you places. He was like, sure. I, I hope he doesn't get bogged down in this. I think he called it like a swamp of mathematics. He wanted uh, him to, he wanted him to flourish and use his gifts for something more. Mm-hmm. But I don't, he just never got there. Right. While teaching, Kaczynski started to have problems with his professional life. He found it hard to deliver lectures and to strike a connection with his younger students. He wasn't popular with his students, and his teaching was straight from textbook. According to fellow faculty, Ted left questions and lectures unanswered, and and in Kaczynski's own words, The good part about teaching was teaching the few students who were really interested in the subject, and the bad part was teaching the rest. That's what you want to hear from your teacher. Thanks, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as we'll see, he was not very invested in the actual teaching part of this job. So you could say he played favorites a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) He abruptly decided to leave the job and resigned from his assistant professorship in 1969. So he was teaching for two years. Yeah. And in just that time, he lost his lost his love for teaching, or I shouldn't even say he love. Even, he just no, he never he had, lost it. Like, I mean, he later admitted that the job at Berkeley was just a means to an end. Like right. he needed to make money so that he could go live out in the woods. Yeah, <laughs> and even then, he didn't have. He just needed the money pretty much to buy the land. Right. Because after he lives out there, he's getting subsistence from his parents. Like yeah. He's getting a, a pretty much an allowance. An allowance as a thirty-year-old man in the woods. <laughs> His resignation came as a shock to the chairman of the Department of Mathematics, who was impressed by his dissertation, publications, and knowledge in the field. After leaving his job, Kaczynski went on drifting from city to city until he finally managed to build, like Jacob mentioned, move out to the woods, take a plot of land, and built a cabin near Lincoln, 
Montana. Montana. I, I was <laughs> like, Nebraska. that's not Nebraska. <laughs> uh, built a cabin near Lincoln, Montana, where he lived in isolation. There was no electricity or running water in the house. At his time at the cabin, like we mentioned, he was in near total isolation, but had a great time hunting rabbits, growing vegetables, and spending a lot of his time reading. I, the Romp around mathematics too. <laughs> electric boogaloo. I like was thinking about him in the context of being a serial killer mm. and trying to put his like check the boxes of did they do this 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 or this that right. serial killers normally do and animal mutilation w- wasn't really on the list i never checked it but in Jamie Gehring's book she mentions that he did catch some animals and torture them like before killing them i don't know i it's the only place I saw that was said, but she lived literally on the same property that he did. Mm-hmm. So if she, if anyone knew, it would probably be her. So maybe he did, but I, he really doesn't check a lot of those boxes. Like he had a right? good childhood. He's insanely smart. He was never really like said to have been a rage monster, flew into like fits or anything. It, so it's, it's very interesting to see that he ends up being the guy that he is. I mean, with the torturing animals part, I remember during Waco, we talked about how the ATF pumped Bunnies. in like, dying bunny noises. He's just willingly listening. <laughs> yeah, that's a very distinct and uncomfortable sound. So I'm sure that uh, when she was writing the book and talking about it, that's very distinct. So I'm kind of leaning towards he might have almost for sure done that. Yeah, but like her grandpa sold him the land. It was just over one acre of land. He lived in a 10 by 12 or 10 by 14 right. uninsulated cabin in the woods of Montana. Yeah, I saw pictures of the FBI like recreating it and it is truly a, it's they, a shack. They still have it. Yeah, yeah, the they still have it. Shack, yep. So yeah, it's insane. While living this remote survivalist lifestyle, Kaczynski developed his own anti-government and anti-technology philosophy which he documented in his writings that would later be known as the Unabomber Manifesto. And I'll read a little bit of that later. In 1978, Kaczynski moved back to Chicago to work in the same factory as his brother. While there, he had a relationship with a female supervisor, but eventually it turned sour. In retaliation, Kaczynski wrote crude limericks about her, resulting in his dismissal from the company. His brother, David, a supervisor himself, was actually the one that had to break the news to Ted. According to Ted, he waited for the woman by her car shortly after this with a knife and had an inclination to kidnap and mutilate her, but backed out before doing anything. After this, Ted retreated back to isolation and began to let his appearance go, becoming a ragged and unkempt hermit. I feel so bad. I feel so bad for David. Kaczynski. Yeah. He just honestly is trying to be a good brother. Yeah. And he looks up to his older brother Ted so much because Ted's so smart. Right. He got all he got into Harvard so early. He was a teacher at Berkeley at 25. He's got such a good track record on paper. And then everything just falls apart. Like it never really was together, I guess you yeah. could say, but it really falls apart very fast. Right, when you see like your brother or just someone close to you kind of going down a, you know, 
live in the, live by themselves in the woods toward type of path. Like you naturally want to extend that olive branch and like give him a job and come well, to the city of Chicago again. And his parents and and David supported him in this decision. Like sure. they they believed that he just wanted to live a more naturalistic lifestyle. He wanted mm-hmm. to get off the grid a little bit. And they're they, okay, fine, yeah, that's cool. We respect that. But then immediately he starts to become just an in an inherent asshole. Like. Right. And wanting to mutilate and torture someone who, I mean, just the relationship turns sour. Yeah. Like we I, mentioned. And she was very kind about it. She just said, hey, I don't have the same feelings for you. I don't yeah. see this going anywhere. And he just could not take the rejection. I mean, it was another rejection from a woman. So Right. And like we mentioned, he already had throughout his life a lot of struggles with women. Uh, Weird. The hermit. Weird, yeah. <laughs> in the woods, couldn't get with any women. Hmm. In 1978, Kaczynski left a homemade bomb in a package at the University of Chicago with a return address for a Northwestern University professor, Buckley Christ. This could have been such a sad, like mm. this first one could have gone so bad. Oh my God, I, yeah. I read that when this, because the package was just left outside of the mailbox, it wouldn't fit in the mailbox. And so a woman rolled by with her stroll, like a stroller, picked up the package, put it in the stroller and took it home. Mm-hmm. And her kid was like playing with the package at home. And so this could have gone off in her house with her kid and yeah. immediately it could have killed a, a toddler. And so it's, oh my gosh, I guess lucky in that sense. But. Yeah. On May 25th, 1978, Buckley Christ received the package in a parking lot at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Christ grew suspicious of the package and contacted the campus police. The package was opened by Officer Terry Marker, which resulted in an explosion and left injuries on his left hand. Marker only suffered minor injuries. Another bomb was sent to the same university the following year, but by this time, Kaczynski had returned to Montana. Yeah, the first bombs are very much testing the waters. He's just getting some he, practice shots. In, what you know? he can do, yeah. Yeah, he's just in warm-ups doing layup lines, but they're literally bombs. Yeah, I mean, they're just, the, the early ones are very rudimentary. and They're wooden boxes with yeah. little containers with match heads in them, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But still enough to hurt people, for sure. Oh, for sure. After this, Kaczynski targeted American airline companies with two bombs, one in 1979 that failed to detonate on an American Airlines flight, and one in 1980 that was sent to the president of United Airlines, who sustained minor injuries after it exploded. They they were relatively minor. (laughs) Like, they still had to pull shrapnel out of his face. (laughs) When When we say minor bomb injuries, it's like still... Very permanent yeah. and like lasting effects and scars, and also ouchy. Yeah, but the one that was on the airline, like oh the actual gosh, yeah. plane, that could have been deficit. Like the uh, investigators said, said that if this would have gone off correctly, it would have shredded the plane. And there's oh, yeah. 80, 80 plus people on the plane. So that would have been an insanely devastating start to his career and only would have propelled him to do it again, I feel like. Do you think that he maybe botched the bombs on purpose? No. He, a little he, bit? I mean, like these early ones? No. He hmm. said, like in his journals, he said that the only reason he was upset 
about anything going on was the fact that his bombs weren't as bad as they could have been. And yeah, the airline one, the only reason it didn't work is because of the the trigger that he had set up didn't work correctly because he had it set up correctly theoretically mm-hmm. it was on a barometer and a altimeter and if once it reached a certain height should have triggered it but something malfunctioned and just started smoking and filled the cabin with smoke and luckily oh it, thank god luckily the pilot made the decision to land land yeah, yeah. working with the u.s postal service and the bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms ring a bell <laughs> The, the, the they kind of helped out this time. Yeah. The FBI started up a task force to look into these mysterious bombing attacks. The task force would grow to more than 150 full-time investigators, analysts, and other personnel roles. This was the most expensive FBI investigation in United States history looking for the Unabomber. $50 million was spent just to find this guy. It's also crazy that they found him basically on a like a tip. Yeah. Which we'll get to later, but yeah, that is insane. This is a huge manhunt. It's twenty almost twenty years. Yeah. So in search of clues, the team made every possible forensic examination of recovered bomb components and studied the lives of victims in minute detail. These efforts proved of little use in identifying the bomber, who took extreme pains to leave no forensic evidence. Building his bombs essentially from scrap materials. Available almost anywhere. The Jamie Gearing said as a kid when she was around five, I think it was, she could hear footsteps and stuff outside of her windows and the, mm. the home she lived at because Ted was the neighbor technically. So she would go in by her parents and say, hey, I hear something outside. There's a monster outside. And they were like, ah, there's, there's nothing. It's fine. Go back to bed. Or she would just stay with them in their room. And it turns out that it was Ted like scrounging around the the property going through all the junk cars on the property and mm-hmm. stealing little bits here and there that wouldn't get noticed and he would do this with all of the properties in the nearby area and those later documented as a bigfoot sighting because again <laughs> he was very unkempt look at all this incompetent people leaving all this shit for me to take <laughs> but i can understand why all of the fbi guys talk about how frustrating this case was because they have constant pressure from the public because everyone doesn't, nobody knows who's going to get hit next. Mm-hmm. So everyone's constantly in a state of fear and the FBI can't get anything. They didn't, there was no hair left on the bombs. There was no fingerprints left on any of the bombs, even the ones that they could defuse. So it was insanely hard for them to get any leads. The only lead they had was there was a little FC in one of the, the bombs. Sure. He left as a little calling card, but. And the victims themselves, like the FBI and the other investigators learned, were pretty much chosen randomly from library research, right? Yeah. Like, so it's not yeah. like they were calculated or like part of his past for a majority of the reasons. But they, in a way, they were part of his past, though, because the first two are from in Chicago, where he grew up, mm-hmm. and then he sends some to Berkeley eventually. And so these are all places that he's familiar with, and it's it's very interesting that he immediately subconsciously went back to the places he was comfortable with right i just mean like the i guess discrepancy no, between like american airlines right or like yeah he even sends a bomb and kills like an advertising executive right but then also to your point yeah he like goes back to like the educational places which gave him the name i mean the case became known as unibomb which stood for university and airline bombing yep which 
those two things do not, in my mind, like, oh, yeah, universities and airlines are so similar. <laughs> right. But those are his targets, uh, right. at least at this point. So, right, right. I mean, but I, it, I think it's interesting, too, that he starts in Chicago and then those bombs are kind of middling, in his opinion. And then the airline bomb doesn't work pretty mm-hmm. much at all. And then he immediately shifts back to doing something he's comfortable with and starts aiming towards Berkeley. So he starts where he's comfortable, gets to somewhere he is uncomfortable, it doesn't go well, and then immediately he shifts back to where he knows. Right, gotta do what you know, yeah, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. By 1982, Kaczynski's bombs were starting to become more destructive. That year, a secretary at Vanderbilt University and a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, both sustained serious injuries from Kaczynski's explosive packages. I feel so bad for the secretary just oh, opening right. a package for her boss and then ends up tar- getting being a target, I guess, of the Unabomber. Right. They drove into work having no reason to have this happen to them and like just no reason to even expect that to right. happen to them like well, no one should expect. Well, no one should also yeah, expect. I, but to have I a mean, bomb. <laughs> like, especially for her, where it's not a package for her; she's just opening it for her boss, and ends right. up getting hit by it. Yeah, it sucks. Throughout his escapades, the one thing that Ted was most upset about was the fact that his bombs weren't as deadly as he hoped, like Jacob mentioned. So these steps towards more serious injuries were a good sign for Ted and what he wanted to accomplish. He switched from his original bombs, which were made with match heads, and gunpowder, and began to use different chemical mixtures that he researched in books that he got from the library in town. So, wow, he's still uh, still, still reading. Well, the library in town thing is very interesting, because he had a good relationship with the library in there, and apparently there was a boy that would go to the library all the time, and Ted would constantly be helping him with math homework and stuff like that. So he had these weird moments of humanity amongst all yeah. of this and i guess it could have just been a way for him to help blend himself into society and maybe it was all just the facade but at the same time jamie Goering says that when she was a little kid he would paint rocks and then bring them to her and be like here's a present and it's it's very weird <laughs> thanks guy but it's like he, okay <laughs> you know, he, he lives in a, a rudimentary cabin so right. this is all he has you know but she said that when she was a toddler even he came over to her parents house for dinner and play mm-hmm. cards with them and he asked to hold her and stuff so this guy who's seemingly just a normal person like he's interested in these helping these kids and being nice to the neighbors and whatever but everyone says they never really saw him show emotion he was just very cordial mm-hmm. he, he made the outward appearance of being a gentleman i think that's one of the most interesting aspects of these types of people that we cover like serial killers, the Unabomber, all these terrible people, like they still abide by the social norms for that, the most part. Yeah, that is weird. Like they'll stop at a stoplight. That's the thing that blows my mind all the time. Like they just like they throw on their blinker every time they turn. Yeah, like little little stuff like that, or like they tip their waitresses. Yep, but for Ted, it's so much different in my opinion, just because of how calculated he is. You never mm-hmm. know if something is a step towards blending in, or if something is an active part of who he is so it's very hard to differentiate between the madman unabomber and this weird hermit in the woods ted kaczynski you know Mm -hmm. it's hard to differentiate between the two sometimes that is really interesting the human brain is just it's weird 
capable of capable of a lot. Yeah. Ted also began to travel during this time, going to Salt Lake City and other areas on the bus and leaving bombs, once again striking in areas that would throw off the trail of the investigators. Ted took multiple breaks in his bombings, leaving a lull in the public and the investigations, which led his neighbor, Jamie Gehring, to believe that maybe he was regretting what he was doing and wanted to stop. It was actually during this time that he was testing his bombs and trying to make them more effective. He would do it on the land, too, in like the gulches and the areas mm-hmm. around the property. And Jamie's father heard once one of the bombs go off yeah. and stop, like, stop the car, and he was like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> and Jamie's trying to get him to keep going. She's like, ah, it's just a gunshot. Don't worry about it. And he's like, oh, I know what a gunshot sounds right. like. That wasn't a gunshot. But it was far enough away that I guess you could mistake it for one. Because it's a huge, it's like 1,400 acres of land that the Gehring family owns at this point. So they own like a huge homestead in the wilderness, pretty much. Holy cow. Yeah, so it... it, And one of them just has a noticeable crater in it. Wow. It could could just be anything, I guess. (laughs) The first fatality of the bombings came in December 1985, when a computer store owner was killed by a device outside his shop. Over the next decade, Kaczynski's bombs would result in two more deaths and multiple injuries. So this part is going to be a little bit graphic. So if you don't want to hear this, you can skip ahead. But yeah, the computer store owner, his name was Hugh Scrutton. He was 38 years old when he was killed by this bomb. And according to Madman in the Woods, quote, The Sacramento coroner who assisted on the Scrutton case described the grim scene. His face was ripped off. His arm was ripped off. There were parts of his body all over. One report mentions 11 separate containers had to be used in order to transport the unrecognizable body. (sighs) It's a huge jump from his past ones. From, yeah, just like shrapnel in the hand. And I mean, people did lose fingers. People did have to get surgery and stuff. I mean, it wasn't pleasant, mm-hmm. but for the the biggest things that people had as far as injuries were the hands, and then they would lose hearing or they would lose sight in an eye. But for it to be this drastic of a change is insane. I mean, that's just complete mutilation of a body. Like you mentioned, 11 containers. Yeah. Just to pick up all the pieces, that is pretty disgusting and disturbing. Yeah. During one of his deliveries of a bomb, someone actually caught a glimpse of Ted, giving us the infamous sketch of the Unabomber wearing the aviators and hoodie. However, the description said the man had reddish blonde hair and Ted had brown hair, ultimately not leading the investigation into any meaningful places. You know what that makes the investigator and the sketch artist? What's that? Actually pretty good. Actually? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty spot on, Pretty creative draw. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if it was just like one of those characters, caricatures, <laughs> it's just like a huge head, huge hoodie, and like the biggest aviators you've and ever seen. He's wearing seen. like a cartoonish size stick of dynamite. For some reason, he's smoking, like not like a marble red or something, but like his aura is just smoking. <laughs> he has a fuse. Yeah. Ted also told that he would go into Salt Lake City on one day after cleaning up his appearance a bit. And then returned back to his cabin until his beard grew back out and he returned to his disheveled hermit appearance. This is kind of where it gets into him being calculated about what he's doing. He is 
actively he he knows that people are going to be looking for a certain appearance on a guy and that's why the unabomber sketch is so wrong from what Mm -hmm. he actually ends up looking like when he gets captured it's because he shaved like cleaned himself up and obviously he had the hoodie and everything up so right yeah uh when he was going to Berkeley to deliver some of the bombs that he was making, Salt Lake City was just on the bus route. So that's why he was dropping them off there. So it wasn't even that he planned to really do it that way. It just ended up working out that way that he could leave kind of a trail, not even a trail, because that would mean that it would help the investigators, but mm-hmm. kind of just up different localities where these attacks are happening so that nobody really knows where is he going to strike next. He's like, oh, a two for one deal on this yeah, bus pretty route, much. you know? The big break in the case came in 1995, great year, when Kaczynski's son, that's our birth year. For, Your for birth year. My birth year. <laughs> when Kaczynski sent, <laughs> it's like the beginning of the episode, before we started recording, where I was like, oh, I'm going to start the episode with just little anecdotes that only apply to me. <laughs> we bring them to the end of the episode this time. <laughs> Everyone understands. But Kaczynski sent out a 35,000 word essay on the problems of modern society. He even threatened media outlets such as the New York Times to publish his so-called Unabomber manifesto, telling them he would blow up a plane if they failed to do so. A bit dramatic, Ted. Yeah, like, he needs all the chill pills. Yeah. The manifesto, titled Industrial Society and Its Future, was first published in September 1995. I feel like that title is just, there's, it's truly either a manifesto like it is, or it's a sci-fi book. Yeah. There's no in between. But this is super interesting from the perspective of the split personalities that he's got too, because he's trying actively to hide from the investigators, but he's also seeking attention for what he's doing, which is a trademark of serial killers. They always want validation for what they're doing mm-hmm. from somewhere. So it, it usually ends up this way, like BTK sent stuff to the police so that he could get more attention out of it, and then he got caught because of it. Yeah, it's, it's just very weird that that section of their brain doesn't shut off enough to tell them this is a terrible idea. Right, they get to the point where they've, I mean, he's been doing it for a decade, like decades now, so he like wants to get a message out. Yeah. No, I Do guess you know, sometimes even crazy people get tired of being crazy alone <laughs> you want me to read the first point of his industrial society in its future i would love if you did i'm gonna probably mess this up a lot but i'm gonna try my best the industrial revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the human race they have greatly increased the life expectancy of those of us who live in quote-unquote advanced countries but they have destabilized society have made life unfulfilling and have subjected human beings to indignities have led to widespread psychological suffering in the third world to physical suffering as well and have inflicted severe damage on the natural world the continued development of technology will worsen the situation It will certainly subject human beings to greater indignities and inflict greater damage on the natural world. It will probably lead to greater social disruption and psychological suffering, and it may lead to increased physical suffering even in quote-unquote advanced countries. I mean, like, those points, some of them are kind of true. They are. Like the hurting the natural world, the suffered like indignities and like more or excuse me, worse conditions, specifically in third world countries, also true. But this is why it's frustrating, because people, like, 
support Ted Kaczynski. Even immediately after he gets arrested and mm-hmm. this gets published and everything, like he has a, a cult following, which is it's annoying. Because well, so did Bundy, you know. I know, but the, the, there's still people to this day saying Ted Kaczynski was right, and like that direct quote has been said on <sighs> podcast platforms way larger than ours. Um, but he wasn't right. No, he was not. <laughs> he may have had good points in the philosophies that he lived by and like or not even lived by the philosophies that he thought the world should live by but he was not right (laughs) yeah good points a sound philosophy do not make yeah he there's a lot of truth to the fact that technology is in some ways destroying the human race Mm -hmm. but at the same time there's no good way to the, the way to prove that isn't by actively going on a spree of terror yeah, by sending bombs to innocent innocents. You, you know? immediately discredit your argument by doing that. So anyone yeah. who says Ted Kaczynski was right, no, he was. Yeah, stop it. His his thoughts may have been on the right track. Yeah, but anyone who goes to these lengths to try and prove that they're correct doesn't deserve respect. Which is just so interesting because if you've gathered anything from, especially the beginning of this episode, like he's a very brilliant man yes and he chose to use his brilliance and terror or like to inflict terror and to injure people that did not need to be injured to kill people who did not need to be killed and he already was very prominent i guess i would say was like an up-and-comer like in educational circles granted it was in math but i'm sure if he publishes maybe some of these points without doing the bombing just start like, a club like, start a club. It's yeah. not hard to just start a club and be like, here's what I believe. Right. If people want to believe with me, that that's fine. I think if he would have done this today, it, he would have had a way bigger following than like at the, this time period. Do you think, like we talked about with uh, during the Waco series with David Crash, do you think if he just like has a social media platform or a platform to get these thoughts out, that he maybe retracts a little bit of the violence? This is all. This is also a very unfair question because that's such hindsight or like alternate timeline stuff. But I think the only way that it would have worked for him with the social media is if he did it anonymously. Mm. He could get a, if he started say on Reddit or something like that and started posting this stuff. Yeah, he could get a following on something like that. But if you were, he could never show his face i feel like he would never have the confidence or the self-esteem to do it that way it would always have to be behind a screen you know what i mean and that's why i mean he sent this manifesto through the paper like it was never him right i'm sure he has like if this happens in modern day or whatever it probably looks like a blog it's a QAnon. it's probably a QAnon, yeah type thing yeah but i mean his is more reasonable than QAnon, which is insane to say but yeah Shortly after the publication of the manifesto, Kaczynski's sister-in-law, Linda Patrick, read the manifesto and encouraged her husband to do so as well. Although he and Ted had become estranged over the years, David recognized, for, to back up, David Kaczynski, Ted's brother, recognized the writing style and some of the ideas expressed as his brother's. After consulting with a private detective, in early 1996, David shared his suspicions with the FBI. 
On April 3, 1996, federal investigators arrested Kaczynski at his cabin in Montana. News outlets carried images of the bearded and disheveled Kaczynski, giving the country and the world its first glimpse of the infamous Unabomber. He truly looks like a wild man he looks, in the photos. just looks dirty. Like yeah. He looks almost exactly what you expected like this a, man to look like a mountain man mountain, hiding yeah. in an uninsulated cabin that like the entire thing was covered in soot cuz he had just this kettle stove in the middle of everything <laughs> right. and, yeah but he truly looks like an insane person oh my gosh yeah at his cabin the FBI found one completed bomb other bomb parts and about 40,000 pages of his journals in which he describes his crimes in detail. It's very funny, because his journals started out just English, normal writing, eventually started writing them in Spanish, which he thought, no one's ever going to be able to get this. <laughs> no one will ever. And then after a while, he's like, this is so easy to find out. Like, I'll, he, Then he started doing a cipher code for his writings. Mm. And just like, how did you think that the step to Spanish was going to change anything? <laughs> He's just like, these gringos will never... <laughs> They're incompetent. They'll never figure it out. They'll never libre Espanol. It's fun. It is interesting, though, because the guy that bought the plot of land that he lived on after he was arrested, he got letters from Ted Kaczynski, and Ted was telling him, dig here, 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 and here. Like, there's different things that he buried in the yard. Oh, my God. And the guy never looked for him. And I'm as Jamie Gearing assumes, yeah. the FBI probably found all of that before the guy bought the land anyways. Right. But it's like, why would I ever take the advice to dig on a property of a, a known serial bomber? Yeah, definitely don't open the door behind, like, or don't open the door behind curtain one yeah. or something like that. In January 1998, Kaczynski attempted suicide as he prepared to go on trial. So this is two years into his, two years after his capture. He was insistent that his lawyers not use any type of insanity defense, and he rejected any implication that he was mentally ill. He was way too proud to say that he would ever be crazy. Right. I mean, he's been told that he's a genius majority of his life, so he thought, again, and also the commitment to write a 35,000-word essay. Yeah, I was just about to say, he wrote all of his coherent and apparently mm-hmm. well-written thoughts onto a 35,000-page thing, so, or 35,000-word right. like, page. He wrote a celebrated dissertation and thesis yeah. like in graduate school. Well, like, that's there's, impressive. There's a ton of people today that still say the Unabomber Manifesto is one of the like, best-written uh, philosophical like Marxist or socialist or whatever you want to call it philosophy papers. So. Sure. <laughs> However, after a failed bid to represent himself in court, Kaczynski decided to plead guilty to 13 federal bombing-related charges. In return, the federal government agreed to forego the pursuit of the death penalty. You gotta wonder what that trial would be like if he represented himself, because, again, like Bundy represented himself eventually. Some of the court transcripts from the victims are in the book Jamie Gehring's book. Mm-hmm. I cannot recommend this book enough. It's it's fantastic. But I was tearing up from reading them. It's so harrowing hearing yeah. the actual families and the people that survived the attacks talking about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it's rough. Right. I mean, like we've already mentioned, their life was forever changed for no reason. Yeah, like, one of the guys says, you 
Ted Kaczynski affected hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Yeah. Just the fact that people couldn't be safe in their own homes. Mm-hmm. They didn't know if they were going to grab a package from the front door and come inside and it would blow up in their face. So it's not just the immediate people that actually got were victims directly physically of the attacks. It's all the people surrounding them. It's all the people that take flights every day. Yeah. It's everyone. Yeah, that's just an age of gosh, that's just like so much terror to have with a normal everyday thing. Yeah. Like open a package, get on a flight. There could be a bomb in there. It's that's truly terrifying. In May of nineteen ninety eight, Kaczynski was sentenced to prison for life for his actions. He was sent to the U.S. Penitentiary. 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 Oh my gosh. (laughs) Administrative maximum facility in Florence, Colorado. They could have just said he was sent to really bad guy jail and make it easy for a podcast host that struggles with words. Where for a time he was housed in the same unit as Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh and World Trade Center bomber Ramzi Ahmed Youssef unbelievable cast of characters. I guess you could say it was a pretty bomb prison. My goodness, how dare you? Man, lunchtime got explosive. You know what that joke was? Competent. Competent. (laughs) (laughs) Kaczynski continued his personal battle against federal authority from behind bars. When the government was granted approval to auction off papers taken from his Montana cabin as a means of providing restitution to victims, Kaczynski appealed on the grounds that his First Amendment rights were being violated. An online auction eventually was held in the spring of 2011, so they heard that bid and were like, actually... Uh-huh. You, you have no rights anymore. <laughs> yes, yeah, sir, you can't make money on you this. You gave those up when you... You gave up all human, humanity when you started to actively kill innocent people. Right, so. when you put the first stamp on a bomb. Yeah, that, that was your signing away everything. But as I mentioned, he did kind of have a cult following, and he's, yeah. he did one interview from jail, and that's what the Unabomber, in his own words, documentary series on Netflix is about, mm-hmm. which is also very good. Um, but he says, if I just wanted to get my message across and implement it in any way possible, so if I get a cult-like following that starts doing a revolution of their own in whatever way they see fit, then that's how it's got to go. So he doesn't even care if people start taking his example and using it to cause further harm. Yeah, that's sad. I mean, it's weird, the fact that he gets pleasure from, you know, I have a cult now. Yeah. When that was probably never really the uh, initial objective. I mean, he's just happy that, like, people know who he is, I think. I think that's his biggest thing, is he's, he's finally getting attention. To wrap things up, Ted Kaczynski was an aspiring genius mathematician who failed to adjust to normal life outside of academics. He believed in ideals that led him that led to him taking action that he believed to be helping humanity despite the death toll and the injuries. His victims did not deserve to die for his agenda, and thoughts and prayers go out to the families that have been affected. But yeah, if you want to watch Unabomber in his own words, they go through all of the each victim pretty much individually, one by one. They interview all the investigators and stuff, and Jamie Gehring's in it, David's in, David Kaczynski's in it. It's very good. Uh, there's plenty of resources if you want to learn more about him, but yeah, this is just an overview and kind of... We, we didn't want to harp on the, the like gross parts of it too much. Right. I mean, 
when we pick our podcast episodes, it's usually not a focus of, and this is how many limbs were like dismembered, yeah. you know, in this, in this madman's spree of terror. If you do want to learn more about Tekazinski, my sources were thefamouspeople.com, biography.com, history.com, and I'm sure if you look at any more, you'll definitely find some actual detailed, I guess, explanations of the bombings, but that's that's up to you. <laughs> yeah, and seriously, if you want to like hear a very more personalized version of Ted Kaczynski's story, go read Madman in the Woods by Jamie Gehring. It is such a good book. She does a very good job because the whole purpose of the book is transitioning from her knowing Ted as this just kind of socially awkward hermit to him being the monster that he is. Mm. And the whole feeling of the book as it goes transitions from her telling the story as an innocent kid to telling the story as like, I know how bad this guy is. It's very good. Yeah. If you want to continue the conversation with us, you can find us on a majority of social media. So you can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco and myself at Wodevskis. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook at gems of history podcast. The Facebook is a discussion group uh, also called the Agora, but if you just type in Gems of History Podcast, you'll find us. And then, last but not least, Jacob already plugged it, but we started a Patreon. It's been going for a few weeks now. Uh, we appreciate and love any support that you guys can give to us. It's just our way of providing more content to you. Like We have a bunch of different ideas, like Jacob mentioned as well. You can now vote on an actual topic that you want to hear. Uh, so we have some really cool stuff going on and would love if you, you know show any support. Come join us. It's a fun time. Yeah, patreon.com slash gems of history podcast. Really easy to find. Mm-hmm. But yeah, come join us. It's a fun time. We got stickers. Oh, we got stickers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's five bucks a month, $60 a year. It's not that much. You can afford it. I mean, you pay that more than that for Netflix. So why not pay it to us? Because you can learn stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Better than Netflix. <laughs> Except we don't offer as much as Netflix does. We so. don't offer a visual program or Shit's yeah. Creek. <laughs> but that's all we got for you guys this week. We will be back next week. Uh, I'm not sure what we're doing. Probably something fun. Oh, very fun. But we will talk to you then. Everyone out there, stay polished and have a great week. <laughs>